scripture reading today is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you understand what you are reading? He replied, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. The Word of the Lord. Well, good morning once again, City Church. You know, today we get to talk about one of my absolute favorite stories in the Bible. And not to oversell it, but this is truly the kind of story that can change your life. I mean, it can certainly change your theology. And it did so for me back in 2003 or so. I was in seminary, but I was also wrestling my way through many life and philosophical changes, some of which I've spoken about here before. It was generally a time of opening and expanding and reconsidering what faith really meant to me and who the good news of the gospel really was for. And you know, previously to that time, I had only really understood this story about the Ethiopian eunuch as a kind of like cool example of Christianity quickly reaching out and converting a royal official who presumably took the gospel to the continent of Africa. And while that much may be true, there's also so much more going on here so much more that speaks not only to the radical inclusion of Jesus, and it does speak to that, but also gives some insight, I believe, insight into the necessity of the cross, the necessity for a God who suffers with us, who gives meaning and purpose to our wounds. And so my prayer this morning is that each of us might see just a little more power, a little more meaning, a little more good news and who Jesus is through this interaction between Philip and this remarkable character, the Ethiopian official, the secretary of the treasury, as it were, for the queen of Ethiopia, a dark-skinned foreigner who happened to be worshiping the God of the Jews in Jerusalem, this man who happens to be a eunuch. 
a eunuch. And we have to talk about that some today because this Ethiopian bears a very traumatic life history that we must understand to see the full power of what's going on here. He's a social outsider in many ways. We'll talk about that, but he's also carrying with him a trauma, a traumatic bodily wound. You know, our text introduces him saying he had come to Jerusalem to worship, which is interesting partly because he's a foreigner, but there's actually a long history of Ethiopian adherence to Judaism, which is an interesting topic all on its own, not really for today, but it's interesting. But what's more interesting and tragic is that he could not even enter the temple in Jerusalem because of his status as a eunuch. He's come to a foreign country to worship, but he can't enter their temple. Because according to an old law in Deuteronomy, eunuchs were by nature unclean. Unclean, just an old term, meaning that they were not suitable for holy worship. It's not that they had done anything wrong. They just didn't fit into the neatly prescribed categories that the old laws mandated. And there were a lot of ways that you could be unclean, a lot of ways. But if you were, you were excluded from worship. And a eunuch was always excluded, always excluded. So this Ethiopian is pursuing a God in a foreign land and in a religious community that will never fully receive him, which right at the outset both it raises my sympathy for this man, but also my fascination for where he found his fortitude. Like where did he find his grounding, his resilience to pursue the God of the Jews under such circumstances? There's honestly few characters in the biblical story whom I'd rather meet and talk to than this guy. He's absolutely fascinating to me. So he's a permanent outsider from the religious community, but also bears a particular traumatic life story and a traumatic physical wound. And we need to understand this. We have to as well. And I'll be as delicate as possible this morning, but we can say with a relatively high degree of certainty that this man was either born a slave or sold into slavery at a very early age. And then probably at around the time he turned eight years old, he was chosen to undergo a brutal procedure. Now this is an era before anesthesia or modern medicine. I mean, to be physically maimed, to have his reproductive organs completely removed. And now on top of how brutal and traumatizing that would be, there are reports that only about 10% of the boys subjected to this procedure in the region of Ethiopia at the time, only 10% actually survived. Only 10% actually survived. But from a brutal economic perspective, it didn't matter to the slave traders how many boys died because they would make huge sums of money for each eunuch they could sell into service to the powerful, usually to the very wealthy and often to royalty. Because the powerful believed eunuchs could be trusted more than anyone else alive for the very reason that so much of their humanity had been ripped out of them. Eunuchs were often placed in charge of finances because they would never be concerned for their own life, their own family, 
their own legacy or progeny, they, they wouldn't have any of that. Unix had no reason at all to build wealth for the future. They were a type of ultimate slave. Now, they could achieve very high positions of power, but at their core, they were just a traumatized functionary slave. No family, no progeny, no real freedom or choice over their life or future. And they were considered to be sexually ambiguous, not clearly male or female in that culture. In fact, to be a eunuch was an official third gender. There were men, women, and eunuchs in a different category, and they would often show up that way in official census counts at the time. So imagine this character, now a high official for the queen. He's achieved a lot in his status, but in his heart, a scared to death eight-year-old boy who had his life forever altered, had all his freedom taken, has spent a lifetime trying to make the best of this horrible situation, but very, very aware that his life, his lifeline, ends with him. His lot in life was that of an ultimate outsider. In that world, he's not fully male or female. He's a royal official in one sense, but also a functionary slave with a large part of his humanity ripped out of him and all his freedom taken away. He's a devout Yahweh worshiper who can't even visit the temple of Yahweh in Jerusalem because of an old law and because of a physical condition he didn't choose. And on that wilderness road in our story, still within the jurisdiction of Israel, he is an Ethiopian black man foreigner. He finds himself on the outside, excluded in so many ways. And yet, Yahweh, is pursuing him. God is pursuing him. God has been watching him and anticipating this moment and through direct miraculous divine intervention sends an angel to Philip to get in position, to tell him, tell Philip to get in position, to get in position for something. Initially, Philip didn't even know what it was, just to go down to that wilderness road and see what happens. And when the Ethiopian's chariot approaches the Spirit tells Philip, go after it. And I absolutely love this image that God, through Philip, is like running after this chariot, trying to strike up a conversation with the Ethiopian. Willie James Jennings says it like this, God is chasing after this eunuch. God is chasing after this eunuch. We can say this because Philip has been brought exactly to this point by the Holy Spirit. He must run behind the horses because God will not leave this traveler alone. God will not leave this traveler alone. And the eunuch is reading Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, what we now call Isaiah 53. At the time, they didn't have chapters, but now this is part of Isaiah 53. And he's reading it out loud. Just want you to really imagine that. He's reading it out loud, like into the wind. It's To me, it's almost like he's sending these verses of Isaiah into the air like a prayer. And Philip, running alongside, maybe out of breath trying to keep up, keep up, hears the words, maybe begins to understand a bit of why God sent him. And he calls out to the Ethiopian, Sir, do you understand what you're reading? 
Do you understand what you're reading? And the reply comes, how can I unless someone guides me? This Ethiopian official wants help. He seems desperate to understand what he's reading, what all of it means. And his urgency makes a little more sense when we're told exactly what he's reading. These words, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? Or in other uh, translations, it says, no one will speak of his descendants. Who can describe his generation? No one will speak of his descendants, for his life is taken away from the earth. But here's the thing. The eunuch's question to Philip is not abstract. It's not even primarily theological. It's personal. It's extremely personal. He wants to know who this passage is about. Not what it's about exactly, but who it's about. He asks Philip, who is this person led to the slaughter, who did not open their mouth, who was humiliated and had his life and descendants eliminated? Who is this person? Is the prophet speaking of himself or someone else? I, I need to know. I need to know. This is deeply personal for him. He's been reading this passage, maybe reading it over and over, just sending these words out into the air, reading about a mysterious, abused person who sounds an awful lot like him. And he's longing to know what it all means. And in that precise moment, there's a guy running alongside his chariot asking him if he wants to talk about it all. And I believe God's been watching over this Ethiopian official since he was a boy, since he was eight years old. God had heard his heart's cry, even as he was promoted through the royal ranks. God saw him on the edge of that temple in Jerusalem, unable to enter. God saw him on the wilderness road. God knew he was about to read Isaiah 53, and God made sure Philip arrived at just the right moment. The eunuch invites Philip up into the chariot and they ride together, talking about the passage. And Philip introduces the eunuch to Jesus, the son of God, who allowed his body to be hung naked in the most shameful and painful form of death on a cross. A Jesus who remains silent, who does not retaliate, and is executed alongside common criminals. And importantly, a Jesus who taught every day that no one, was untouchable, that no one should be excluded, that no one was beyond forgiveness or inclusion or love. A Jesus who turned over tables in that temple where the Ethiopian was excluded and who explained that the very institution of the temple and all its old laws would have to be torn down and rebuilt and rebuilt around Jesus' own wounded and resurrected body. And you know, I often struggle with why Jesus had to die such a violent death. 
I do. I mean, you probably do too. Part of me would definitely prefer a religious narrative that was gentler, was less brutal. But when I think about the cross from the perspective of the Ethiopian eunuch or others who have had horrendous evils visited upon their very bodies, it begins to make a little more sense to me. Jesus' wounds, Jesus' bodily humiliation is a lot like the eunuch's own story. And while the cross was not necessary so that God would love the eunuch or love you or love me, it was necessary to show the eunuch that even the most horrific evils that can occur in this life have been endured by God as well. That they are known and experienced directly by God in Jesus. And that those wounds are no longer a mark of exclusion or shame, but are the authentication, the authentication of being found and included and welcomed into the body of Christ. In short, I'm going to quote Willie James Jennings again here. In short, this Ethiopian has found his body in Jesus. He is in Christ and Christ is in him. This Ethiopian has found his body in Jesus. He is in Christ and Christ is in him. And this restores his entire life. His unchosen suffering, his life of being an outsider and an enigma is exactly like the rejection and suffering of Jesus himself. For the first time, he has a dignity at its deepest level, dignity at its deepest level, not just the kind of dignity that came with being the treasurer for the queen, but dignity in his very being, in his very body, dignity in his very life story with all of its suffering. And I've got to believe that as Philip and the Ethiopian rode along in that chariot, and as Philip explained to him everything about Jesus, everything about how he could be fully included now in the family of God, that Philip also showed him a little section of Isaiah 56. Now, it's not actually in our story today, but I'm relying on a bit of holy imagination here because it's not a stretch at all. Only a few pages later, in Isaiah, just a few pages, where the prophet is anticipating a future day when the temple would be renewed and the old exclusionary laws would fall away, the eunuchs, all eunuchs in particular, would be welcomed in. They'd be welcomed in. What Isaiah 56 says is, do not let the foreigner join to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. 
in Jesus and in the prophecy of Isaiah, the eunuch is no longer excluded, but explicitly, specially, uniquely welcomed and uniquely dignified. He's given a name and a legacy that's better than sons and daughters. He is now part of the family of God forever, forever. And that's why he's in such a hurry to be baptized. I mean, there's no time to waste. Why would he wait one second longer than he has to? He has been found and known and dignified now on a level he's longed for for his entire life. And the text says he goes on his way rejoicing, rejoicing. So what's this mean for for us, for you, for me? There's a couple things. First, if, um, if you've spent a good part of your life feeling like you're on the outside, and maybe even at times heard leaders, maybe even church leaders tell you you're on the outside, that you can't belong exactly as you are, exactly as you are knitted together by God, with all your life experience, with all your ambiguity and belief and doubt and successes and failures, this story of the Ethiopian eunuch should remind you that Jesus came to reveal the true family of God where every human being can find a home, especially, especially those on the margins, especially those that don't fit into the dominant systems of the powerful. In fact, if anything, the Bible shows us that it is the marginalized, the poor, the underprivileged, the abused, the excluded, who find it easier, easier to see Jesus for who he really is than those of us on the inside. But you know, for all of us, like no matter how good, good your life looks on the outside, no matter to what degree you are living your best California life now, I mean, you're fully vaxxed and fully optimized, ready to go back into a post-COVID world and just crush it. Like, even if that's kind of how you feel right now, you have wounds too. And some of those wounds you're very aware of. Others will only make their presence known to you over time. Some of your wounds will completely heal and others won't. And this is why we have words like grief and loss And this is why we need trusted pastors and therapists and friends and spiritual guides like Philip to help us do the work of seeing who we really are and what we really need. But then after doing that important work, there are still the wounds we will carry through our lives that have to be transformed. They have to be transformed into sources of meaning and into doorways through which we can bless the world. Because our wounds, our wounds allow us to see God. Our wounds allow us to see the cross. They allow us to see grace. And they allow us to see each other. You know, I once heard Father Greg Boyle. He's a Jesuit priest. He's pretty famous for launching gang intervention programs down in L.A., I once heard him tell a story about a man named Jose, who now works to curb substance abuse. And Jose had suffered on a level few of us ever will. 
but on a level very similar to the eunuch today, Jose had physical scars all over his body and used to wear three t-shirts as a kid to school, three t-shirts to school every day to cover those wounds. And then maybe even sadder, he continued to do that well into adulthood, three t-shirts to cover the sadness, the shame of those wounds. But today, today Jose helps train social workers and he sees himself very differently. And when he's teaching, he says, but now my wounds are my friends. But now my wounds are my friends. I welcome my wounds. I run my fingers over my wounds because how can I help the wounded if I don't welcome my own wounds? How can I help the wounded if I don't welcome my own wounds? You know, friends, um, most of us will never be physically and emotionally wounded in the same way or to the same severity as Jose or as the eunuch today. But don't let that diminish the significance of the wounds you do carry or the need to let your heart break in self-compassion so that you can begin to love your wounds, both the ones that have been inflicted, inflicted on you than even the ones that you've inflicted on yourself because they don't diminish you. These wounds authenticate you in Christ. Your wound, your suffering is where you meet Jesus on the cross. Your wound, your suffering is the contact point through which you connect to every other living soul on this planet who is also wounded and also trying to find their place to stand in this world. The deepest work you will do in this world will in some way arise from the deepest wound you carry. And your wound, your suffering, is the doorway through which you can uniquely bless the world. Your wound, your suffering, is the doorway through which you can uniquely bless the world. This, I believe, is the lesson that the Ethiopian eunuch has to offer us today. So let's take his story with us this week. May it bring us closer to the cross. May it bring us closer to Christ and closer to each other. I want to leave you with just a brief final word, a brief word from St. Augustine where he says, in my deepest wound, I saw your glory and it dazzled me. In my deepest wound, I saw your glory and it dazzled me. Amen.